0: Hey, what up? It's Mark Carter. I'm the pastor of Fierce Church. Welcome to our podcast. I'm so pumped that you're able to join us today. I hope this encourages you, inspires you, strengthens you, gives you hope to keep pressing on. And it's my prayer that this sermon gives you a more expansive view of God's love for you. Enjoy the message. Hey, welcome to church, everybody. I'm so glad that we lingered in the presence. We don't do that every weekend, but it's good to wait on God sometimes. You know, when you wait on God, sometimes... He starts to speak. He starts to reveal a little bit more because we take the time and the trouble to wait on him. And as I was just sitting down here worshiping, I felt like the Lord spoke to me and said, I have some things I want to share with some folks that are in here. Uh, And so I'm just going to share those. So for somebody, um, you're really wrestling with the idea of Sabbath. And it's not that you don't believe in it. It's that you're having a hard time doing it. And of course, we're not justified by what we do. We're justified by the blood of Jesus. And yet God's commands are our good. They are for us. They are to help us. And I really believe he laid out my heart, he can't do anything else with your schedule until you start to take a Sabbath. So you got to find a way to pull that off. I felt also that somebody was really wrestling with guilt. And like it's, it's, it's crushing you. And you feel like, I, I, don't, I don't know how to get out from under this. I just feel this conviction. And I just want to encourage you, run to Jesus. You cannot carry the weight of that guilt, and you're not supposed to. Guilt is too heavy. Guilt is not, cannot be carried by humans. It can only be carried by the Savior, and Jesus' arms are outstretched, and he will forgive you, and he will restore you. He will give you grace. Don't try to work it off. Don't try to like, get a better record. Don't like, wait a little while and be a little good and stop doing a little of that bad. Just run straight to Jesus, and Jesus can take that burden right off of your back. Amen. Hey, today we're going to talk about something that maybe you haven't heard a lot of messages on. We're going to talk about the importance of understanding the church family as a way to know Jesus. And before we do that, I just want to invite you, it's always cool to pull out your Fierce app and engage with the message. You can follow along in the notes, or you can take a challenge or leave a prayer request. But whatever you do, I want you to keep an open mind because we we really don't have a lot of messages on the church. Uh, We've had a lot of messages here at Fears about taking steps to know and spend time with Jesus, but not a ton on the church, and it's really important that we do... We're going to talk about how God disciples us, how He takes us and forms us and causes us to become more like Jesus and to know Jesus more. And we started this series, The Fierce Pathway, and we said, we need a map. We need something that shows us what's next. How does God do this? Can I look at this thing and just kind of know, okay, here's where I should go next? And so this week, we're kind of jumping all around. If you can go to that uh, circle. We're gonna start at the top one and do engaged. And all we're saying is, we grow best when we start with engaging with Jesus personally and corporately. And it's really both, It's not one or the other. It's two hinges on a door. We need to learn how to engage with Jesus personally and and do stuff like spend time with him and meditate on his word and do all the spiritual disciplines that way. And there's nothing that could ever replace that. You can't go to church and get what you would get alone with God. But this might surprise you. You also can't get from God alone what you're supposed to get about God at church. They are two separate and two uh, almost equally important things. And so I want it to become intuitive for you that the first stop, always the first stop on your discipleship pathway is time with Jesus personally and time with Jesus corporately. And when I say your first stop, I mean, even if you've been doing this for a long time. So this is where if if you're all out of whack, okay, if you don't remember, if you don't understand, like, where am I? I'm lost now. I, I got off track somewhere and I don't know what to do. If you're feeling like I need to clear back to neutral, I need to clear the inbox and get it to zero. Sometimes you many of you know this. When you just studies have been done, when you just clear your inbox to zero, you free up all this psychic RAM. Like you're able to like think more clearly just because you put your inbox in order. When you want to spiritually put your inbox in order, you return to Jesus. That's where you return. It's, It's that simple. Start back at the start, and that is with Jesus Christ. Getting to know him personally and getting to know him through the mechanism of his church. Now, the church has gotten a lot of bad press over the years, but I'm going to give you some good press today. And I know that some of you have had negative experiences with the church, and man, I feel that, but I feel like if you'll just allow the word of God to flow over you about the church, it will begin to nuance how you're feeling about this. It won't, it won't make up for something that was done wrong to you, but it will hopefully open your heart and give you better vision of how this is supposed to work. In our Christian life, the church, especially when we start out, the church is is kind of like a spiritual parent. Like really, when you first start out, you should just do, I mean, I've had people tell me this, when I just started doing what I was told, it actually started to get a whole lot better. (laughs) Like, I'm just going to tell you what to do from God's word. If you just start doing it, like it'll just go well. But then as we grow up, the church becomes more and more, it doesn't need to be a direct parent all the time, it starts to become a coach. It's just teeing you up. Okay, this is what you do next. Now go on your own or with some others and go do this thing. And then over time, over the decades, it even becomes a sage. It becomes a Yoda that you check in with because I don't, I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm mature in the Lord, but I still need to go to a Yoda and, and, and you know, get some wisdom from time to time. And even that's with humans, but it's also, as we study church history, as we look at how, what, is, what, what have the saints done throughout the ages, that gives us some good sage wisdom Well, unfortunately, uh, we don't have a lot of good beginner classes for what to do with the church when you start out as a Christian. So I'm going to try to help us through that. Often, because, and we talked about this earlier in the series, because we're born into this Western culture, which is different from the culture that the Bible was written in. It was written in a very Eastern, we're all thinking about us together collectively, kind of a culture. It's just hard for us to get used to that. Those of you who are born in the West— as soon as you got out of the womb, man, it, you were start, people started telling you it was about you. Whether, whether they directly said it or not, it was about everything's about you. Um, how does this affect you? And we can't help but coming to church, thinking about it that way. How does this help me? It, you know, here, here's, here's the thing that provides me religious services. How's it doing? And the problem with that is it's a wrong understanding of what the church is and what it's supposed to be. See, the church is really not about you And you yourself are not a one-man or a one-woman church. It's a very different thing. The church is actually what it is in its essence. It is an us that is about him. That's what it is. It is an us. But it's not just a solo you. It's an us about him. When we come to put faith in Jesus Christ and we make him our king and we get forgiven, our relationship with God himself changes. And we become a son or a daughter of the Most High. But what we don't understand is our relationship with every other Christian on the planet also changes when we do this. And you're always going to have excuses of, of, hey, here's why you don't need to make this a big deal. Here's why you don't need to prioritize this. But I'm going to show you from God's word that you absolutely do. The church is one of these categories or one of these things that we could call a means of grace throughout these centuries uh, theologians have talked about means of grace. And there's really not very many means of grace, but a means of grace, let me read you the literal definition. They're appointed instruments by which the Holy Spirit enables believers to receive Christ and the benefits of redemption. How many would like some benefits? you like some benefits of redemption? Okay, you have a ton, but there's only so many places you can access them, okay? So some of the means of God's grace, of God's transformative power is time in God's word meaning you're going to encounter the spirit of God's power. He's going to be doing stuff as you spend time in his word. You're going to be encountering the means of grace when you are among a fiery group of believers as the church. You're going to discover God's grace, his means of grace to change you as you give yourself to serving. This is what we've been talking about. This is really what the series is about. But here's what we got to know. There aren't a ton of ways to access those means of grace. There's only a few. There's there's like, you know, five to ten. Those are the means of grace. It's always gonna be God's word. It's always gonna be the church. Now we live in a culture, it's like I have a million ways to do anything. Right? I can go this way, I can call, I can email, I can text, I can do whatever I need to do, I can jog. However, I do it, there's a million ways to do it. Not so with the church. The church and the means of grace is more like the train station. Honey, you can't take a train from your backyard. You can't take a train from here you got to go to the train station if you want to take a train. In the same way, if you want the grace of God to enter your life, there's only a few things you need to do, but you need to do those things that God has said in his word and not other things because it just won't work. This is why I understand the heart behind, well, I don't need to go to church because I can just meet God in the forest. I understand the heart of that. There is an authenticity to being with God in the forest, and that's a very valuable thing. The problem is God has told you to do a whole lot of other things to grow your walk with God, to become a richer, deeper disciple. And he's not going to change his mind, okay? And it's just not, you're just going to miss the train, that's all. The train's going to keep showing up at the train station. You're just not going to be there. The church is the ecclesia, It's it's the assembly, it's the called out ones. It is everybody who has put their faith in the blood of Jesus to forgive them and they've made Christ their king. But here's what's cool. It's not just the people in this room. It's not just the Christians in the nation right now. It's not even all the Christians in the world. It's everyone who has put their faith in Christ throughout the centuries who are currently in heaven are also the church. They are equally the church, just like you. And as we understand the church deeper, we're gonna understand ourselves deeper. Because here's what I can tell you. I understand myself better When I understand Western civilization, I understand more about what shaped all of us. When I start with the Greeks and start moving forward, I understand us better. I understand me better when I understand my country better. Where did this come from and what were the decisions? And the more gaps I fill in, the better I understand my my story. I understand me better when I understand my family history better. Oh man, that shapes me and that makes me feel good about this and this is a little disappointing. We won't do that again. I understand, because I'm learning the story, and as we learn how we're shaped by the story of the church, you're going to find it's really beneficial, because here's what's happened: When Jesus Christ died on the cross, not only did he acquire your forgiveness, but check this out. We're going to see it in the text in a minute. Jesus Christ put you in the church. He put you in the church. That means he didn't didn't like just need a category. He's like, well, you know, I need to call these people something. You know, he writes the name church over a bucket. He's like, I'll just throw them all in here. It it wasn't a category that he created. And it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to create this option that some might find helpful. No, 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 Jesus Christ, the moment you trusted Christ, he put you in the church. He said, this is what is best for them. Now, when my kids arrived on planet Earth, I put them in diapers Many of you, you've done this. You put your kids in school. You didn't ask them what they thought about it, right? And it'd probably be a bad deal if they got a vote. Some of you, you put your kids in braces. It wasn't a discussion. It was you decided this is what is best for them. Jesus Christ decided this is what is best for them. I'm putting them in the church. I'm putting them inside of this because I know what is best. And their job is to actuate what I've already said about them. All right, are we hearing this? Look, I want to show it to you from God's word. So Ephesians 2, Paul is describing the multiple benefits that come from trusting Jesus Christ. We're going to pick it up in 19, then we're going to go backwards a minute, but let's start with 19. Consequently, because you are now in Christ, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens. Okay, circle that if you're circling things or highlighted or bolder, just, you know, remember it. Citizens with God's people and also members of his household. What is a household? Household is a family. Your household is your family. Built on the foundations, foundation of the apostle and prophets with Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building, so we had citizens, household, building, is joined together and rises to become a holy temple. It doesn't even stay just as vague as a building. It becomes the actual temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together. Somebody say together built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. I like the way the Living Bible says it for today. We're going to talk about temple next week and family today. It says, Now you are no longer strangers to God and foreigners to heaven, but you are members of God's very own family, citizens of God's country, and you belong in God's household with every other Christian. Citizens, family, temple. What does it mean to be a citizen? It means you have all the rights of that land. And when you came to trust in Jesus Christ, if you have, God made you automatically, you're a citizen of heaven now. You have all the rights of a citizen of heaven. You can't really use them all yet, but you can start to use them. When you pray in Jesus' name, I don't know if you know this, you are using one of your heavenly citizen rights He's given you the right to pray in Jesus' name and not your own name. So you have the merit of Jesus when you're praying and not your own. Now, it still has to be God's will and it still has to be God's time. But God says, I'm not really going to answer prayer based on your merit because you jacked stuff up this week. That's not going to work. I'm going to have to answer your prayer on the basis of who Jesus is and his record. And that's a heavenly right that you have. But family's a little bit different, isn't it? Family is not just citizenship. Family's a little bit more intimate. When you're family with somebody, you're a little bit closer. There's bonds that are there that are not the same thing as the bonds you have with fellow citizens. And what Paul is saying for God in this book, he's saying God has made not just you a Christian and united you with Jesus, but he's united you with all these other Christians throughout all time and you belong to them and they belong to you. And you are closer than just citizens You are family. That means I have more in common. Now now listen, we're going to see where this goes. I have more in common with the Christian in Alaska than I necessarily have with somebody in my own neighborhood who's not a Christian. I have more in common, and you have more in common, with the Christian in Uganda than you have with the non-Christian two doors down in your apartment complex. Now check this out. You have more in common with the Christian who lived in Italy in 150 AD, then you might have in your own family with someone who has not trusted Christ. You are family. You're that kind of family and you are united. Our most significant relationships are actually our family, Christian family relationships because they're the only ones that will last forever. Your spiritual family is gonna last forever. You're always gonna be family with them. In fact, when you get to heaven, you're going to have this delight of meeting the rest of your family who's been waiting for you. And I hope all the rest of your family trust Christ, but there's no guarantees. So we're just hoping that they join the heavenly spiritual family as well. Now you might say, well, you know, I don't always feel like it, Carter. I I come to church and I feel a little bit, you know, like people don't get me and, you know, maybe they don't understand. Maybe I don't, maybe I don't belong here. Maybe I'm a misfit. Yeah. I'm not saying you're not weird, okay? Trying to teach my kids everybody's weird. You're not weird, everybody's weird. That's how it is. But do you need to always feel like you belong in your physical family to know that you are a part of your physical family? I mean, come on, man, sometimes you walk out of Thanksgiving and you're like, these yahoos, next year's too soon. I don't wanna deal with this. But you don't stop being part of the family. You can't even change the fact that you're part of the family it is just there and in the same way you and i you don't even have the power to change that you are a part of god's spiritual family now the enemy of course he's always going to try to like suggest well you know you don't belong and all he's trying to do is get you off on your own so that he can lay the beat down on you but family also means that we we have certain obligations to one another we have certain duties so i'm from a very big family okay i'm one of 5 kids my mom was one of 10 kids. And even if you just take that slice right there, when we go to a family reunion, that people have just multiplied a lot and very quickly. Okay, there's all kinds of people. I'm like, oh my gosh. This is one generation, you know, it represents only two generations. But you know what's kind of funny is when we go to those family reunions where we go on like a family vacation and you see you everybody, there is a level of affection. When there's like a kid, oh, you're my cousin's kid. Suddenly I have a level of affection for that kid. Because they're, dude, they're just part of us. They're one of us. And I would protect that kid. And I would want to make sure things go well with that kid. And in the same way, that's how we should feel about one another. They're part of us, right? Like I would, it doesn't matter, you know, if someone's trying to trick them or hurt them, I would want to protect them. If they ever needed it, I mean, think about your family, even if you don't even like them all the way, okay? If they were in trouble, you'd probably be more willing, well, I'm still got to help them because they're my family, my family, Right? And you might even help them before you'd help somebody else because I kind of owe them. It is the same way with the body of Christ. There should be a specialness to the relationship. There should be a, I I owe you my love. I owe you my responsibility to watch out for you and take care of you and encourage you and love you in any way that I can. I owe you that. Now, if that's true, and it is, here's, we're, we're gonna go from the shallow end to the deep end real quick. We're gonna jump right in. Family means that we should and must be the antithesis to racism. We should and must be the antithesis to racism. Now, here's what I want to do, and I want to use the Bible to do it. I bet you, just about everybody in this room, when you think about other people of other races, other ethnicities, you're like, I have no ill will toward people of other ethnicities. Yeah, good. I mean, that's great. But the scripture is going to require more than that of you. Because Scripture is going to require family from you. So let's check this out. You got to know going into this is that the Jews and the Gentiles, even, you know, way back then, starting with really Moses, they're, they're antagonistic, okay? It's the Jews and every other ethnicity, and there's, there's just antagonism. There, there's definitely racial tensions, and they don't like each other, and they don't get along. And so Paul says Jesus actually dealt with this on the cross, Verse 14, for he himself, Jesus, is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose, somebody say his purpose. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. One new humanity. Verse 16, and in one body to reconcile both. Oh, we could really just say all. Yes, it's it's Jews and Gentiles, but it's all ethnicities that were ever created on planet Earth. All of them are to be reconciled to one another through Christ. All of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away, you Jews, and peace to those who were near. Or sorry, you Gentiles and peace to those who were near, you Jews. For through him we both or we all have access to the Father by the same spirit. What Paul is saying is, hey guys, um, you are family. Whatever hostilities were there, that has changed now because Jesus Christ broke down every barrier. And the Holy Spirit has made you one family. So in one sense, you're not allowed to not love somebody who's part of your family. And if you've been shown this amazing grace, you, wh- what response can you possibly have other than to show grace and love to people, not, not even just persons, but family? Because here's what all the family members have in common no matter what different family members have done to different ones, different ethnicities, everyone in the family has betrayed Jesus more than anyone has betrayed them. And Jesus says, and I forgive you. Therefore, and it really is therefore, because of the cross, he says, now you forgive as well. But don't just forgive, don't just be like okay with it, you prefer them. That means there is a devotion you have to them that supersedes even your own physical family, if they're not in Christ, because that's what's true. And there's, a, you know, this is a nuance of the conversation. I hate when we have conversations like this, and it's like one blanket thing, and that's supposed to solve everything. No, that's not what I'm saying. But the Bible is saying, focus on this truth: you are family and you are to love, and you're to treat each other, and honor each other, and esteem one another like family. Because only Jesus, and it really is only Jesus. Oh my oh my word, can the world get this? It is only Jesus that can reverse the curse of the Tower of Babel. It is only Jesus that can reunite. And do you see, this is what the world is, is aiming at. Like, they want the right thing. They want to bring, hey man, let's just kind of bring everybody together. But now check this out. I'm not trying to depress you. The further the world drifts from Jesus, the more racism it should expect. I'm going to say it again. The further the world drifts from Jesus, the more racism it should expect. Because, baby, I don't care how many Starbucks meetings you have. You cannot renovate the heart with a meeting. You can even get people to behave a little better for a little while, but you cannot change What and who they love, unless you give them a new heart through Jesus Christ. That is the only way that is ever going to work. And it's so ironic the very God the world rejects right now is the God they need to get them what they're rightfully after. They just can't do it the right way. Just like Abraham Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation, he said, Hey man, slaves are now and forever free. It's over, it's done. He abolished slavery. And Jesus, even before that, says, hey, from now on, all enmity between any ethnicities, it's done. It's over. It was murdered on the cross of Christ, and y'all are now required as my people to demonstrate family love. I want you to see that this is so amazing. It's in heaven, okay? Revelation 7, 9. After this, I looked. This is this is. John's being given a vision of what's going on in heaven. And there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language. Now, that nation is not geographic, it means ethnicities. It's, it's people groups and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. This is who Jesus died to get every tribe and tongue, and ethnicity, and nation. And you know what's really weird? The world says, everybody be the same. Let's minimize all the differences. And God says the opposite. He said, I made these differences on purpose. Like, I love these differences. Just like you can love different flowers, and you put them all together, and they make a more beautiful aroma than any of them on their own. God says, I did all this on purpose. And when in heaven, you will see that these people, these different ethnicities will be an aroma unto the glory of God, filling heaven. But check this out, this is so important. Revelation twenty-one twenty-three. Now, Now seeing kind of everything wrapped up, he says, the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and the lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light. The kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut for there will be no night there and the glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. The glory and honor of each of these ethnicities, each of these people groups, everybody's contributing something special. And the world's saying, everybody shut up and just pretend everybody's the same. No, everybody's not the same. We're supposed to celebrate the differences, not get rid of them. Okay, so in my family, um, when we see somebody's good at something, we say, awesome, awesome. She's really funny at that. Okay, and she's like really smart about this. And he's so good at this thing. We're not like, quit trying to be so good at stuff. So we can all be united. No, there's a hand clap. There's like, awesome, awesome, awesome. There should be more celebration and less, let's just all stifle and pretend everybody is exactly gifted the same, does things the exact same way. Cultures need to be celebrated, not run from. And it means that we are, this family idea, it means that we're helping each other. It means that we're encouraging one. Now, let me talk to the older ones for a second, okay? So that means when when somebody comes into the family, they're new to fierce, they're new to being a Christian, what do they need? They need mature people around. They need mature people to say, hey, man, you go. That was awesome. They need mature people to teach them. They need mature people to sometimes correct them. They need mature people to, you know, just be a source of strength. So when I was a little kid, man, there was even just some uncles. When they were around, I felt stronger because I felt like the family's a bigger thing. We're like, you know, this big now. Sometimes you should just come to church for the sake of the young because they need to experience church. They need you to be around. And I would even challenge you, if you haven't met anybody new in a while, there's new people at our church. So you go ahead and start meeting them. You should never leave church without trying to meet somebody new just for the day. Okay. And it might feel awkward. Do it anyway, because your family, go up to your family member and say, Hey, what's up? I'm me. Who are you? <laughs> means you're going to have to bear with people because you got to bear with people in your family, right? You got to put up with some stuff and you even got to stay unified when, you know, you're not necessarily in agreement about everything. And that's how the church has to be unified when we're not necessarily in agreement about it. Here's, here's what. Everybody gets the freedom to express how they feel about something, but everyone also gets the freedom to say, Yeah, thank you, that's good, but that might not be what we choose to do. So everybody gets both freedoms, and you gotta take both. You can't have one, just one. You gotta have both. It means that there's people that are going to need your help because Jesus put them into your church, your church. Jesus put them in your church because he wanted you to be the family that took care of them and protected them. And man, sometimes just a slap on the back. Well, not too hard for some folks. It gives people just wind, man. They can make it because the older saints tell them they can. Jesus prayed that we would be one. And we demonstrate our oneness. That's really, that's a tall order. But we demonstrate our oneness when we decide we're just going to agree and prioritize the health of every believer. Let me give you a couple warnings and then we'll stop. Warning number one, don't undervalue or mistreat your family. We, you could hear what I just said as like, if, you're, if you were a brand new, younger Christian, you could walk in and be like, yeah, y'all, so you better do me right. You better be intentional over here. I demand y'all to act better as a church. Just like anywhere else, a spirit of entitlement is going to lose you more friends than it gains you, okay? Yeah, young one, we know our job, thanks, all right? We are doing this when you were in diapers, okay? So um, I mean that sweetly, but humility is a thing, okay? And so you never want a spirit of entitlement. You want to look to your elders, look to those who have done this a little longer and say, hey, what wisdom could you possibly have? Have for me. Remember that, dude, you can do damage. Like you can, just like you can do damage to relationships outside the church, you can do damage to relationships inside the church. And it's not that they don't have to forgive you, and it's not that you know, God might be able to heal that, but it's still your life that you're lead, you know, leaving wreckage. So just be tender with people. Just be careful with people. Just give them grace and the benefit of the doubt. And here's warning number two. We over the past year have learned that digital ministry is a really important thing. It's a really blessing of a thing. It can be powerfully used. And it is best when, you know, it helps people stay connected when when there's a pandemic. Okay. And we need to check in and, and just kind of be together. And when you are together digitally, you still are, you're together in a sense, you're being you and that's true. And that is all together. And, and we've just learned we have to get better and better at digital. This is the thing that is here to stay. And sometimes even just when you're, you know, your kids got a tournament and you can't make it, hey, man, I'm going to check in with digital and, and still be with the people. We've learned that digital, man, it is super necessary, but it is also insufficient. It is insufficient to do what the Bible wants done in the life of a disciple. That doesn't mean we don't celebrate it. And that doesn't mean I won't use it from time to time. Like, like, dude, it's a real thing. We need it. It's helpful. It's fun. And the, one of the best parts is it helps us reach people that we're not reaching and intro them to a church without doing the scary step of actually coming. But it's still insufficient. In the same way, if you had a marriage and all you could ever do was meet by Zoom, how many think that would be a healthy marriage after a while? I mean, you can get there for a while. You probably go for several months, but you couldn't go several years. Like that because there's something about presence. There's something about I need to feel the people. I need to see how it's done. I need to experience that someone like relationally loves me. So for that reason, as a church, I want to encourage you, man. Use digital. Help us make it better. Serve in ways that we can make it better. But no, as part of your discipleship process, I'm telling you, as your pastor, I really believe. Like we've studied the scriptures about this for a year now. I'm telling you, it is awesome. It is just not sufficient for discipleship. It's a tool but it cannot be the whole thing. So let me ask you this in closing. If this is, it's okay to be where you are. If you're like, I don't know, Carter, you know, this whole church thing, I don't know if this is really something I need to prioritize the way you are saying I do. I would just challenge you to think about this. The price Jesus paid to put you in the church, if he values it that much, why would you not value it? Why would you value it less? Why would you say, Jesus, I know that you said I, you know, this would help me and is a good context for you to put me in. No thanks. Like, dude, he's right. <laughs> he's right. Just like everything else he tells you pays off for you, this will pay off as well. God has given you and I a tremendous gift in a spiritual family. It does come with owies, just like your family does, okay? Because we're all still we're all still a little poisonous because there's a little bit of sin in us. And if you bring us all into the room, our poison is going to hit one another's. Thank, thank God we have like a blood of Jesus release valve and it can get rid of a lot of that sin as we repent and try to love one another a little bit better. He's, but he's still giving you this great gift. It is your spiritual family. Let's show affection and do our duty to one another about our spiritual family. Somebody say family. Family. Let's bow our heads. Hey, Jesus, we want to thank you for the wisdom you have demonstrated in every step of our lives. And we thank you for the wisdom of the church when it is working properly. We want to pray that you would give us the sense, increase it, of our duty and also the affection of others in the church that we are truly spiritually family. Pray that you would help us to build bridges. Pray that you would help us to um, be the ones to go first, to demonstrate your familiar love to everybody. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thank you so much for joining us today. If you don't have a home church and you're looking for a Bible preaching community that has its heart set on passionately knowing Jesus and being his witness in our generation, check out Fierce.Church. We'd love for you to join us either digitally or in person. Also, if you're looking for leadership development related content, don't forget to check out the Fierce Leadership Podcast, available wherever you get your podcast from. Special thanks to those of you who give generously to support this ministry. It's because of you that this is possible. You can click on the link in the description to give now or visit fierce.church for more information. If you enjoyed this podcast, why not subscribe, share it with your friends, click on the share button, take a screenshot, and share it on social media or wherever you would share such things. Whatever challenges you're facing, I know you can make it. Don't give up. Hang on to Jesus. He won't let go of you. Jesus loves you so much, and we love you. I hope someday we get to meet in person. Thanks again for listening.